pillar of fire by night. It gave them warmth and gave them light. And then in the daytime, it gave them a shade so that they were not scorched in this hot desert. Then he also gave them water uh, from the rock, and that rock followed them. That rock followed them. Some Bible scholars don't believe the rock followed them, so they say that there was a river that it created, and the river followed them. So uh, the Bible says the rock. So <laughs> I'll go along with that one. And that water came forth from the rock that, that was able to give all the water that this great large number of people, three to five million people who came out of Egypt, following Moses, and they walked on down. The Lord then fed them with manna from heaven, like bread, angel's bread it was called. Fed from heaven, had all the vitamins and minerals that you could ever want in any kind of, any kind of a diet. And then he also gave them quail to eat. Quail would come into their midst. So they had all of these things. Their shoes never wore out. Their clothes never wore out. They lasted as long as he was in this wilderness. The Lord took them down to Mount Sinai, right down here. This is at the very bottom of this, this, uh, this wilderness area here to this mountain. And at this mountain, the Lord says, now I'm going to meet with you. And I'm going to, uh, let me push this up then a little bit. I'm going to meet with you and I'm going to give you my word. And uh, God said to get everybody around it, three days of uh, being prepared and get ready for it. And then I'm going to speak to the children of Israel. So that's exactly what happened. This is what happened here in the 11th verse. And Moses said, and be ready against the third day. For the third day, the Lord will come down in the sight of all the people upon Mount Sinai. I want to jump down to verse 16. I do this to save time in reading. And it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunderings and lightnings and a thick cloud upon the mount and the voice of the trumpet sounding loud so that all the people that was in the camp trembled. And Moses brought forth the people out of the camp to meet with God. And they stood at the nether part of the mount. And Mount Sinai was altogether on a smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire. And the smoke thereof ascended as the smoke of a furnace. And the whole mount quaked greatly. And when the voice of the trumpet sounded long and waxed louder and louder, Moses spake and God answered him by a voice. And the Lord came down upon Mount Sinai on top of the mount. And the Lord called Moses up to the top of the mount and Moses went up. And then I won't read any further, but if you read the entire 20th chapter, the entire 20th chapter here of Exodus is the Ten Commandments. When God gave the Ten Commandments, he spoke them to the people. They were spoken. They were also written in stone. They were written in stone and given to Moses. The stone and it written in stone was given to Moses by God. Moses came down off the mountain after a number of days being up there. And the children of Israel were worshiping a golden calf. By this time already they had digressed. And Moses took the stone and got mad and he threw it down the side of the mountain and broke it all to pieces. And he got on to the people about it and so forth and everything. They all repented and got it all straightened out. Then the Lord said to Moses, all right, come back up on the mountain again, and I'll give you another set of stone on this time. 
I'm, you, you, you hew out the stone and I'll write it in it. But the first one, God had cut the stones out and then written in the stone. This time, Moses, you cut the stones out. In other words, the second time, Moses had to put more work into it because he had broken the first set. And he went up and then the Lord, of course, etched out the Ten Commandments on stone. So they got it verbally. They got it uh, also on the... Uh, on the stone and that stone those stone ten commandments were later put in the ark of the covenant and stayed with israel for many 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 hundreds of years and uh which in the new testament they say we do not now know what has happened to it but somewhere along the way it was uh lost in all of israel's captivities and so forth they don't know what happened to it many bible scholars believe it's still somewhere it's some hidden away. Some of them believe it's under the Temple Mount someplace. So anyhow, that's another study in itself. The thing I want to bring out to you here is that all these Ten Commandments was given. And later then the Lord began to add to the commandments other things that they were to do and not to do. And the book of Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers, and uh, parts of Deuteronomy is all about the Lord giving them other commandments that would be attached to the Ten Commandments. And uh, in those commandments that he would give unto them, he would tell them to keep the commandments, obey them. And if they would obey and keep the commandments, God will always bless them. There were, uh, there were 1,320, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I got the number right, 620, uh, 613 of the 10 com of, of commandments given that included the 13. There was uh, 603 commandments plus the 10 commandments, 613 commandments altogether in the Old Testament that Israel was to live by. If they were to live by it and serve God and so forth, God will bless them. Now, uh, the children of Israel told Moses and said, look, uh, this is in the verse 19 of 20, 2019. And they said unto Moses, speak thou with us and we will hear, but let not God speak with us lest we die. We don't want to hear God speaking anymore. This scared the death out of these people. God speaking. So they said, let it speak. Now, later on, later on in the journey, after years being in the wilderness, in the book of Deuteronomy, and I won't turn to it, but I'll just show you on the screen here. Which screen is, whichever one we use. Uh, for scripture, uh, if our people up there will help us here, go to Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15, Deuteronomy 18, 15. And let me show you something here in the scriptures. This is where Mo Moses was coming close to the end of his years. Where am I? There it is. The Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet from the midst of thee of thy brethren like unto me, unto him ye shall hearken. This is Moses speaking. Next verse, according to all that thou desirest of the Lord thy God in Horeb, Horeb was Mount Sinai, in the day of the assembly, saying, let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, neither let me see his, this great fire anymore that I die not. He is referring to what we just read to you in the scriptures here. It's over in the book of Exodus. So the, Moses is reminding the children of Israel that they had said, we don't want to hear no more from the Lord. So the Lord is going to send you a prophet because you had made this statement. Now look at the next verse, which is 17. And the Lord said unto me, they have well spoken that which they have spoken. And then verse 18. I will raise them up a prophet from among their brethren like unto thee. 
and will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak unto them all that I shall command him. This is a prophecy concerning the coming of Jesus Christ. When Jesus would come, he would have the words of God. It wasn't going to come by fire and smoke and, and, uh, and, 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 and earthquakes and all of that. And then look at the very 19th verse. And this is what it says here. And it shall come to pass that whosoever will not hearken unto my words, which he shall speak in my name, I will require it of him. This is a prophecy of Christ and his coming and that it would be in a very humble fashion. Jesus was born in a manger. He was a very humble background. When he went forth in his ministry, he simply taught, he preached. He declared the word of God. He did miracles, of course, but there was no fire. There was no thundering and, and all of those things. And the Lord said, I did it because Israel asked me to do it. And that's the way it is. Praise the Lord. That's why, folks, you've got to believe the word. I had a fellow one time said, uh, Brother Myers, if uh, <laughs> I guess I've said this more than once. I laugh every time I think about it. But uh, he said, Brother Myers, he said, if the Lord will send an angel and tell me, if he'll do that, I will believe that you've got to repent, be baptized in Jesus' name to be filled with the, and be filled with the Holy Ghost. I, I just, if the Lord, just send an angel and tell me and I'll do it. I said, da-da, <laughs> because I knew that the word angel meant the messenger of God, you know, <laughs> I knew that. So I said, da-da, and then I went on to tell him, I said, look. There's not going to be nobody fluttered with wings around here and going to tell you something. But the God has chosen to use us people to tell other people, praise the Lord, about what you got to do to be saved. Everything. So anyhow, eventually I did baptize it. So the point that I'm bringing out to you here today is that the Lord, praise God, is not going to do some dramatic thing to convince you've got to be saved, folks. It's in the word of God. We have to believe. This is the grace of God. We're saved by grace and that through faith, through faith. And of course, we're saved by grace, but it is our faith that responds to God's grace by which we say, Lord, I believe, uh, I believe. And believing requires an action. Believing is I repent. Believing is I'm I want to be baptized. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Not he that believeth and is not baptized shall be saved. But he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved so far. I won't get any further into that. But only to say here that Mount Sinai represented the law of the Old Testament. Praise the Lord. And how that the children of Israel themselves uh, reacted and so forth to it. Uh, Elijah, if you recall, when Elijah was being chased by Jezebel, he got very discouraged. And he went down to uh, Mount Sinai. Went down to Mount Sinai. And you know why he went to Mount Sinai down here? He wanted to see God in action. He wanted to see, he said, God, your people need something to shake them up. They need something to bold. They need to see the fire of God. They need to put the fear of God in. They don't, they've lost the fear of God. That's what he was wanting. And he went to Mount Sinai and he got there and he heard an earthquake. Bang, boom, 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 boom. But God wasn't in the earthquake. The Lord did speak to him one time and said, Moses, uh, Elijah, what are you doing here? He said, well, nobody's left. Everybody else has turned their back on you. I'm the only one that's left. I'm all, they've all forsaken you. I'm the only guy left. And then the Lord said that earthquake. And he said, oh, thank God. God's in it. But he never heard anything from God. And there was a fire. And he never, God wasn't in a fire. 
Then there was the wind. It blew like crazy. And God wasn't in the wind. And then there was a still, small voice. And the Lord said, Elijah, what are you doing here? (laughs) He spoke to him again like, what are you doing here? He said, now I want you to get up and I want you to go anoint. So-and-so to do so-and-so, so-and-so. Two kings, he told him one of Israel, one in Syria. And then anoint, he said, a prophet to take your place called Elisha. I want you to go anoint those people to be. And he said, and remember this, I have still yet 7,000 who have not bowed their knee to Baal. I've still got people in Israel that know who I am and where I am. Can I say this to all of us today? You know, there's an unborn church out here in the world. I honestly believe that. I'm, I'm really quoting here from what the Lord said whenever he appeared to, to, uh, to Paul whenever he was in Corinth. He was in Corinth there whacking away, and, and the Lord spoke to him and says, I have an unborn church in this city. People who were hungry, people who were looking, people who wanted answers. And they are out there. They're not the church yet. But if somebody will take them the gospel, they will come into church and be saved. I'll never will forget we were canvassing a number of years ago, and I knocked on this door. And I never will forget that this lady came to, this, came to the door. She's an African-American lady and everything. And I told her where that. She says, you know, I'm so glad you came by. I have been praying and asking God to send somebody my way to tell me what I need to do to be saved. And that lady came into church, got the baptism of the Holy Ghost, and baptized in Jesus' name. She had a little boy. His name was Ian. And they eventually moved up to Washington, D.C., up there, that area there, and they're still in that church today. The young, tall, nice, handsome young man came into church one day, and he walked up to me and said, Brother Myers, you don't know who I am, do you? I said, no. He said, I'm Ian. I'm that little boy that we got saved in the church here years ago. And I just wanted to drop by and tell you I'm still living for God. Mom's still living for God, going on with the Lord. Folks, they're out there. They're out there. We just got to reach out to them. I feel the Holy Ghost all over me in telling you that. But uh, the Lord wants people to be saved, and he wants us to reach out to them. And so Eli- Elisha, Elijah, praise the Lord, had that experience of bounce down there, but he wanted to see God do it the old way that the, the, the Lord said, I won't do it that way anymore, but it'll be by a still small voice. When Jesus came, Praise the Lord. He came just teaching, preaching, and we had to believe, and that's the way it still stands today. Amen. Well, let me move on here to another mountain. If you look at, uh, at this one here, this is Mount, let me move over here my chair where I can get a little closer. This is Mount Nebo. You can barely see it. It says Ammon right there. Pull it down here a little bit. But it's right there. You can't hardly... Let's see if I can zoom in on it. In fact, I'll do that because I'll be referring to these. And you see a little black triangle there. That's Mount Nebo. Do you see that little triangle right there? If you don't, just say yes. (laughs) I say yes, anyhow. Well, anyhow, that's Mount Nebo. And if you'll notice, it's on the east side of the Jordan River. When the children of Israel had wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, and finally it was time for them to go in, the Lord told uh, Moses, Moses, you're not going to go in with the children of Israel because Moses was a type of the law, and the land of promise was a type of the New Testament that would one day come. And so he said to Moses, Moses, you will not go in, but I'll let you see it. 
So he went up on the top of Mount Nebo and he looked, the Bible says he looked all through all over the land. He could see from one end to the other of this Palestine and he could see it all, see it all and knew where the children of Israel was going and know that God was keeping his promise to them. But he himself, because he was a type of the law, the Old Testament could not enter. I say that because when grace came, and the New Testament is a type of grace, it is the grace of God. When grace came, the law, praise the Lord, died, or the law was fulfilled, or the law was completed, whatever, you, however you want to say it. But the law was fulfilled in grace. Praise the Lord. When the grace of God came, it was God's love and mercy and goodness to us. Because under the law, the statement had made, been made several times and is repeated several times in Romans. There is none righteous, no, not one. You find that in several places in the Old Testament as well. None righteous, no, not one. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So no matter how much law and commandments, this is the way we should do it, this way we should do it, yet have we all sinned because we're all flesh, we're all carnal, and we're born under sin. And so when the Lord came, praise Lord, he brought grace, which meant and said this, even though you have sinned and though you are not perfect, yet my grace is extended to you. And because of the grace of God, we can come to the Lord then and be saved. And when we're baptized, our sins are all washed away. When you're baptized, it's not only washes away your own sins, it washes away that, 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 uh, that, that, per, that uh, original sin, they call it original sin, which is the sin of Adam. It's washed away in your life, not by the water, though it's baptism is in water, but it's washed away by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's the application of the blood. I won't go into detail, but I got scripture and I could give you a lot of detail on that. But baptism, praise the Lord, and then repentance, Lord, I'm sorry for my sins. Baptism qualifies us then to receive his spirit. And if you don't have that today, you want that. The Bible said without the spirit of God, we are none of his. It also says that that spirit that raised up Christ, if it dwell in us, shall also quicken our mortal body. I'm quoting here from Romans chapter 8, verses 9 and verse 11 there. Now, I'm just telling you all of this because the Lord, praise the Lord, would not let law go into grace. We are living in the dispensation of grace. That's why the book of Romans and the book of Galatians is written so extensively as it is. And Paul writing those books to the people said, you're not under the law. You don't have to keep the law. There were Jewish Christians who were telling the people, the Gentile people, oh, you've got to go back and you've got to keep the law. You've got to go back and you've got to do this and do that. And you've got to do this and do that and do this and that and that and so forth. And they were saying that you're still under the law. You know, you really don't. You really don't. You've got to abstain from certain meats. But I can give you, I can give you a handful of scriptures that says under, in the New Testament, all things are made pure and perfect. How many of you pray before you eat? Many of you pray. Did you know the Bible says that, that our food is sanctified? I'm talking about sanctified. If, if it's pork, if it's, if it's rabbit, if it's armadillo, whatever it is that you're eating. If it's rat. If you, if you pray, praise God. I'm only kidding you. If you if I, I know a brother that said, I can fix rats like you would love it. I said, not for me, you won't. <laughs> Anyhow, having said that, but when we pray, our food is sanctified, no matter what it is, praise the Lord. 
And you can also pray that there's a guy that's going to be in the germs in it. Forget about trying to cast out the calories. That will work. <laughs> but let me just say this. Our, our, it's, it's, it, the Bible says that our food is sanctified by prayer and by the Word of God. So the Word of God is also applied there and many scriptures involved there. I'm only saying that we don't have to go back under the law to keep it. We worship today's Sunday. We worship on Sunday. The early church worshiped on Sunday. It's called the Day of the Lord. I know the Old Testament held to the Sabbath. If you're a Muslim, you worship on Friday. Did you know that? That's their holy day. Muslims' holy day is Friday. The Jewish people is Saturday. And some Christian people, even in America, they, they still hold to that seventh day as being the day of worship and so forth. It's not a day of worship. It's a day of rest. Sabbath means rest. Praise the Lord. And that's what it was given for. But Sunday, the first day of the Lord, first when the Lord's resurrection is called the day of the Lord, that's the day of worship. Praise the Lord. So when you come to church, folks, worship God. Hallelujah. It's Sunday. Hallelujah. Amen. Worship God. Amen. Don't do like this. Don't do like this. Don't get the checkbook out and figure and figure and figure play around and communicate with people outside. No, don't do that. So put all that aside. Said, Lord, I'm in your house to worship you. And when you will start worshiping God and glorifying the Lord, and you don't have to run the aisles, you don't have to jump up and down, and you don't have to tear up the place. All you got to do, lift those hands up and just say, Jesus, I love you and I thank you and I glorify your name and I praise you. And God will respond. He will respond. Praise the Lord. Sometimes it's a still, small voice, but that's all we need sometimes. Amen. Everybody say praise the Lord. So Nebo, Mount Nebo was a type of not being able to enter into uh, the Holy Land. Now I'm going to go to another mountain, and this is Mount Moriah. And uh, this is the, the mountain that is where the Temple Mount is. The Temple Mount, this is Jerusalem right here. Where my pen is, that's the arrow there. And uh, in order for you to see that better, I'm going to use this map here. This is a map of, uh, of Jerusalem itself. And uh, Mount Moriah is right here. This is where the old Temple Mount was. This is the New Testament. And uh, the southern part here, I move it up a little bit. This was the original city of David, or the original Jerusalem, when it was captured from the Jebusites in here. And then this is the mountain that was that was just north of it, not mountain so much just as a hill, or it was higher. And it was at that place that David wanted to build the temple, and the Lord says, "You can't build the temple, but your son will build the temple." And Solomon built the temple. And he built Solomon's temple. And later on, it was rebuilt by Zerubbabel and then later named, because it was refurbished, named Herod, the temple of Herod. And it was the New Testament temple in the days of Christ. Now, I want to talk about this uh, Mount Moriah for a moment because Mount Moriah here, right here, and if I were to show you this map, I don't want to confuse you here, but this is a map of Jerusalem as well. It, it says Mount Moriah. See right here? See where it says Mount Moriah? So Mount Moriah is the Temple Mount. And of course, right today, there is the Dome of the Rock. There's a, uh, it's a Muslim uh, Dome of the Rock building there. It's a holy site. It's the third holiest site uh, to the Muslim world. And uh, is it that place that 
God told Abraham, Abraham, I want you to go and offer your son, your only son. I'm going to read a verse of scripture here found in, uh, uh, I think it's in uh, Genesis. I know it's in Genesis. Genesis 22.1, it came to pass after these things, 22.1, Genesis, that God said, that God did tempt Abraham or he tried Abraham. The word tempt here is not quite the right word. Translators put that in. And God, that God said, God did tempt Abraham, because the Bible says in the New Testament, God tempts no man. God cannot be tempted, therefore he tempts no man either. And it's, this is tried. God tried Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, he said, yes, behold, here am I. He said, take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him therefore a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. And Abraham arose up early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him. And Isaac, his son, clave the wood for the burnt offering and rose up and went and, and went unto the place which God had told him. He went. In other words, obedience. Now, as you know the story so well, when he got there and was going to offer Isaac for the, the sacrifice, the angel of the Lord appeared and said, Abraham, Abraham, do not slay your son. And everything I have not, I do not require this of you. I wanted to see if you love me and my word sufficient that you would do it. I don't, I think God knew his heart. I knew how he knew that Abraham would, but he wanted Abraham to act it out. He wanted to carry it out so that Abraham himself would know it. And everyone who would ever read it would know that Abraham believed the word of God. In the New Testament, the Bible says Abraham literally physically believed. Because God had made him promises that depended on Isaac being alive. He had made promises to Abraham that he was going to make raise of him a great nation through Isaac. And he, he believed with all of his heart that God would raise him back to life again after he had slain him. He believed that. It's brought out in the New Testament. The point I simply want to make with you here is that this was the, was an altar of obedience. Abraham went. He obeyed. So Mount Moriah here uh, represents obedience, obedience to the word of God, obedience to the voice of the Lord. I'm going to tell you, give you an ex illustration here that I've never told anyone. I don't think I've ever mentioned it. I don't know if I've ever told uh, any, even my own family, but I'm just going to tell you some things. When I was a young man, I went off to Bible school, as you know, in St. Paul, Minnesota. I had a great teacher that said under S.G. Norris. And uh, in my third year, I went up late that year back to school, went up late being like a week or so late. And I was not able to have my old job back. So I was without a job part of the time. And consequently, I got behind in my bill. It came to Christmas time and we got two weeks off for Christmas. I lived in Miami and I usually got a ride with some guys from Florida and we drove together. We drove night and day, you know, how young people are. We drove, we started out and we drove day and night. It took, it took about a half a week. And we didn't have inter interstate highways back then either. Two, all two lane, four lane roads, drive through two cities and everything else. How many of you remember that kind of, don't raise a hand too much, you date yourself. But anyhow, uh, we'd drive, it'd take us a week, half a week to drive there, half a week to drive back, and we had a week to be at home. So it was a lot of driving just to have one week at home. But I had always been home for Christmas, and everybody's looking forward to it. And it came down time now for everybody getting ready to go home for Christmas. Man, we're all excited and happy about it. 
And uh, Brother Norris called me into his office. He's a piece of the president. He's also the pastor of the church. He said, Myers, you owe quite a bill here. I said, I know Brother Norris, but I'll make it up when I you know, get back home, get back from, from home, being home for Christmas. He said, you're not going home this year. If you owe that big of a bill, you don't need to go home. You need to stay here and work. I said, well, I, I know, but I've never been away from home at Christmas time. He said, this year you're going to be away from home. He said, you stay here and work. I'm not going to let you go home. I walked out of his office and I was burnt. I was burnt. I was mad. I was upset. I went home. I got down and prayed about a little bit. I was mad. I was fuming. Good buddy of mine in school said, if I were you, I'd go home. I wouldn't listen to nobody tell me I couldn't go home for Christmas. Hey, man, he really encouraged me, you know. <laughs> and I mean, that thing went over and over in my mind. I was in a bad way. I knew if I went home, don't even plan to come back. And I would graduate that spring. That spring. This was at Christmas time. That spring, I'd be graduating. I knew I was throwing it all up in the air if I went home. But I'd never been away from home at Christmas time. Finally, I got down and really prayed about it. And I said, all right, God, because... My pastor asked me to do this and actually told me I'd better do it, you know, in this fashion. I said, I will obey it. And I got up, brushed myself off, and I said, this year I'm not going home for Christmas. Anyhow, this was like on a, it was like Friday. Friday night, there's a big drama at the school and people putting on dramas. I went there and I was part of the drama, played it out and everything like that. Brother Norris, he was watching me out of the corner of his eye to see how I was going to react. Come Sunday morning, I was in church Sunday morning. I didn't go home. You know, he came to me Sunday morning. He says, Christmas is Saturday. I want you to spend Christmas Day with me and my family. And have Christmas in our home with me and the Norris family. I said, well, thank you, Brother Norris. I'll, I'll be there. That was what a, what a, what a privilege. That Christmas day on Saturday, I went there to the Norris family. I had Christmas dinner in their home with the Norris family. And afterwards, Brother Norris and I played Scrabble all afternoon. I'd never played it before. He said, do you know anything about this game? I said, no, I know about checkers and I know about, you know, a few, I know about Monopoly. I'd never seen Scrabble, but he said, I'll teach you how to play it. And he taught me how to play Scrabble. In other words, we established a rapport. There was a friendship for many years to come after that. But here's what really happened. Let me tell you this, because I was obedient to my pastor. I'm telling you, folks, there is something about being obeyed. The Bible talks about being obeyed those that have rule over you, for they watch for your soul. They watch for your soul. That's not, that it does say what, obey the magistrates. That's not talking about that at that scripture. And there's one place that says children obey your parents. That's for children. But also it says obey your, your, your pastor, your, those that watch for your soul. And I obeyed him. And that day I, a friend came to me and said to me, uh, I work at the Buick place. And I'm going to be gone. I need somebody to take my place. They drive cars in and out, park them, you know, they new ones coming in, all that stuff. Would you take my place and work down there and I'll take you down and introduce? I said, yeah. So, man, I worked, I, the two weeks I didn't go home, I was able to work and make some extra money. That's one thing. But the real, the real reward came when I decided that when I wasn't working and I had that free time in the evening, 
I'd take my Bible and I'd read it. And folks, suddenly, I tell you, this is the truth. Suddenly, I started studying the Word of God and the understanding to the Word began to open up to me. It began to open up to me. And man, I'd write and write and write and write and study and write and underline in my Bible. I, I, I was doing my own Bible studying. And I was just, it was just coming to me what things meant, the understanding of scriptures, uh, you know, what, how they would apply to us today. All of that was writing and writing and writing. And I went through an entire book of the Bible, studying it like that. And just like that, years later, I was thinking about it. I was thinking about all of that and putting it all together. And the Lord spoke to my heart and said, it was your obedience that I gave you the ability to be able to understand the scriptures that would help you and be with you in your ministry all your life. The Lord spoke to me that. And I've had that all my life. I can study the scriptures. I can study the word of God. That summer when I was, had graduated, I went out evangelizing right by myself, a single guy. I never will forget, I went to my grandmother's front porch. I went to her house and spent the night with my grandma and granddad. And uh, before I went into this, up to this little church where I was to preach a revival, I sat on her swing outside and God started giving me messages just like rolling to me like this. I mean, I could not write them fast enough. And I preached and I was to preach a two week revival, seven days a week, incidentally, you know, <laughs> seven days, seven nights a week and taught a Bible study in the afternoon every seven days. I was all fired and wired, you know, and, and God, praise the Lord, gave me these messages. And then after two weeks of that, the, the church came to me and said, would you stay another week? Pastor had told me, look, I'm only on there on the weekends. You just go up there and handle that just like you want to. I won't be there, but I'll be up there on Sunday. I said, okay. So I went up there. And so when they came to me and said, would you, would you uh, stay another week? I said, yeah, I'll stay another week, <laughs> sir. So he said, yeah, that's fine with me too. The pastor did. So anyhow, I, I went three weeks preaching every night, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, and Sunday school on Sunday morning, Sunday message on Sunday morning, and Sunday night service. Praise the Lord. In, in moonshine country, a little country church, I mean moonshine. And they'd pack the church out and open the windows, no air conditioning. People hanging in the windows, sticking their heads in the windows, people out in the cars, and all that kind of stuff. But I'm just telling you that God spoke to my heart and said, because of your obedience, and I'm just telling you, Mount Moriah represents obedience to those that have rule over us, to those where they watch for our soul. So for, for whatever it's worth to anybody, obey your pastor. Some people don't like that. They don't like, even like me saying it. They don't like to obey anyone. But I'm just telling you here that God honors obedience. He honors obedience. He does. That's right. All right. God bless you. Now, the second thing I want to mention here about Mount Moriah is that it's also the Temple Mount. It's where the temple was built. And the temple, praise the Lord, is worship. This is, uh, this is the Temple Mount here. And this is a place of worship. This is where they built the temple. And this is where they would go and offer sacrifices and worship God and so forth. Uh, let me have you look in Psalms 117 with me for a moment. 117. Praise God. Let me find it. All right. 117. This is the shortest psalm in the Bible. It's only two verses. But look what it says here. Oh, praise the Lord, all your nations. Praise him, all your people. 
for his merciful kindness is great toward us, and the truth of the Lord endureth forever. Praise ye the Lord. And that's all that psalm says. That's it. That one psalm. And in the Bible, the chapters were made, were divided by the translators who translated the Bible. But in Psalms, Psalms were, they stand individually as originally designed that way. So when they wrote the book of Psalms, it doesn't say who wrote it here in my Bible, but whoever wrote it here, it doesn't say who wrote it. They only wrote, wrote two verses to it. And it's all about praising God. Oh, praise the Lord, all your nations. Praise him, all your people. For his merciful kindness is great toward us, and the truth of the Lord endureth forever. Praise ye the Lord. Now, in conjunction with that verse, I'm going to read the last psalm in the Bible. This is Psalm 150. Psalms 150. This is talking about the temple now, the temple mount. Uh, even though it's Mount Moriah, the, the, uh, the, the mount of obedience, it's also the mount of worship. Praise ye the Lord. This is 151, uh, Psalm 150, verse 1. Praise ye the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in the firmament of his power. Praise him for his mighty acts. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with the sound of the trumpet. Praise him with the psaltery and harp. Praise him with the timbrel and the dance. Praise him with stringed instruments and organs. Praise him upon the loud cymbals. Praise him upon the high-sounding cymbals. Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. Let's all of us lift our hands right now and just praise him, would you? God, we love you. We love you. We love you. We thank you, Jesus, how great you are. You're a wonderful God to us. You never fail us. Your ways are high and lifted up, God. We glorify your name. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. God, we praise you, Lord. We worship you. We glorify you, Lord. One place it talks about praising God with thanksgiving. And you can never go wrong with thanking him. You can start thinking about all the things that God has done and how that we need to thank God for this or that and everything we never can come up with enough. Praise the Lord. There's always so many things to thank him for. Uh, I've got five minutes. I'm going to close. Let me talk to you for a moment here about uh, Mount Carmel. Let me talk to you about Mount Carmel. Mount Carmel is where Elijah called fire down from heaven. And Mount Carmel is a type of, and this is where Mount Carmel is, is up here. Right there. And this is where... Elijah went to Ahab and said, Ahab, bring all the children of Israel together and get all your prophets together. Yeah, I can't move that. There it is right there. You, you, see, you see that little triangle in there. And he said, get all your prophets together. 400 prophets of the grove and 450, uh, 400 prophets of Baal and 450 prophets of, of the groves. These were false prophets and they were Jezebel's prophets. Jezebel was not an Israelite. She was a Zidonian. She was Zidonian. They worshipped the, the, they worshiped the fish god, and uh, half fish, half man, stuff like that, and also Baal and the groves. And they go up in the, in the up in the hills and had groves where they worshipped and so forth. They had turned Israel all away from God, and Elijah was just sick and tired of it. And he said, "Call, bring all the children." Ahab was the was the king. He was Jezebel's husband. 
and he was Jewish. He knew better, but he followed her. You understand what I'm saying? And she was leading Israel down the wrong path. So he said, all right, because he's scared to death of Elijah anyhow. And so he said, all right. So he called all the children of Israel together, got all the privilege. And then Elijah said, now we're going to say, whoever's the God answers by fire, let him be God. All the children of Israel, you hear that? We're going to let them pray and I'll pray. We'll see who answers by God. The God that answered by fire, let him be God. And so they got out there and they, they all day long, they called on their gods, Baal and all these different prophets, these gods of the, of the groves. And they just called and they, and they got so frantic and they started cutting themselves and everything out and everything just so that the gods would respond to them. And, so, and nothing happened got over in the evening, over in the evening time and everything. And they were all just laying under a shade. <sighs> they were all wore out and tired and everything. Elijah said, all right, that altar that they had built there, take that thing away, tear it all away. Let's build another altar. Put it, they put another altar there. He said, now I want you to, uh, I want you to put the sacrifice on the altar. All right. Now he said, I want you to pour four barrels of water on the top of the sacrifice. They said, well, that'll keep fire not burning. That'll, it won't let the fire burn. He said, do it. They had wood, they had the sacrifice, everything right there. Pulled four, four barrels of water on top of the sacrifice. They did that. It ran everywhere. He said, now pour four more barrels of water on top of the sacrifice. They did that. Whew. He said, the water's all in the ground. The ground's wet. It's sloppy wet. It looks like it's been a rainstorm there. He said, pour four more barrels of water on top of the sacrifice. And these Israelites are all watching big eyes. There ain't no way, ain't no way there's going to be any fire on this altar. And after he had done that three times, four barrels of water three times, Elijah prayed a simple prayer, a simple prayer and said, God, if I'm your prophet, these are your people and you are the God of heaven and earth. You are the Lord God almighty. Let fire fall from heaven and consume this sacrifice. And the fire fell from heaven, consumed the sacrifice, burned up all the wood, licked up all the water, and even licked up all the dust, burned up all the dust that was around the altar, all the stuff that had turned to mud. It licked it all up until there was nothing left. There was just a clean slate. And everything was consumed. And all the people threw their hands in the air and said, let, let the Lord God of, of, of Moses, Lord God of of Elijah be our God, praise when they worship, glorify the Lord. I'm just telling you that because, you know, sometimes we just got to have a victory in the Lord. Sometimes we just got to have victory, praise the Lord. And sometimes you just got to come to the house of God and say, God, I'm going to stand for you. I'm going to be your child. I belong to you. I'm nobody else's but yours, God. And you got me on your hands, Lord. And just stand solid with the Lord. And God will always back you up. And he'll always be behind you. He's not always right there on time. Whenever, uh, whenever uh, Lazarus died, this word came to Jesus and said, Lazarus is sick. Jesus took his time. When he finally got there, he was dead. And Martha said, Lord, if you had been here, he may not have died. And he said, Martha, I'm the resurrection and the life. Praise the Lord. Whether, I, whether he died before I got here or after I got here, I'm the one, praise the Lord, that's the life. Praise God. And then, of course, as you know, he raised Lazarus from the dead. Lazarus has been dead four days. Jesus took his time. God's not always on our time. You understand what I'm saying? 
but he'll do what he's got to do for his people. Praise God. And we have to say, God, I believe you and your word, and I stand upon the word of God. Let's all stand together and just thank him here today. God bless you. You've been a lovely. We haven't finished that, but we will finish it. Praise the Lord. Let's glorify the Lord with all of our hearts and magnify him. Jesus, we thank you. We love you. We praise you, Lord. What a great God you are.